Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary Network Hardcore Podcast coming your way. This is episode 129. Jeremy Buendia, Steve Smee here, and the Mobster. What's up, man? Good morning, my good man. I think we're going to have a hot one with, with the controversy that follows this fellow around. So let's 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 see what we can do for our fans and our followers. Yeah, guys. So we're kind of getting into the the bad boys of bodybuilding coming up. Now we've got some some guys up ahead. Uh, that's what we noticed. Uh, so it's going to be uh, interesting talking about these guys. But Jeremy Buendia, um, you probably heard the name, and that's because he was a four-time Mr. Olympia physique champion. Won it four times in a row. He got second place. Then he won it four times in a row. Then the year after, he got fourth place. So we're going to talk about his social media influence, his, his issues off the bodybuilding stage we're going to talk about his steroid use it's going to be a really fun podcast so first with him stats listed as 5'8 165 pounds off season 180 to 195 born october of 1990 so he is he is a young guy um as of this podcast he is he's about what 30 31 years old 30 31 years old um, uh, Buendia born in California, central California near Sacramento in a little quiet town. His dad was also a bodybuilder and athlete. So that gave him the uh, genetics that gave him the um, insight into bodybuilding. And sometimes, you know, we tend to follow what our parents did. Sometimes we go in a different direction. In this situation, he definitely followed what his dad did. So his dad gave him a nice bridge into sports, especially American football. And football is a big sport in parts of the country. Um, in Buendia played linebacker. But the problem is when you play American football, you also have to deal with a lot of injuries. So his senior year, he had to deal with some serious injuries. So he ended up turning away from football and went to something um, much safer than football, believe it or not. And that's weight training. Weight training is actually one of the safest sports you could get your high school uh, kid into, believe it or not. I used, to, I used to coach weight training and a lot of parents would, would be like, Oh, you know, I don't want my kids weight training. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. And I tell them, look, and you're okay <laughs> with your kid playing hockey or playing football. Those are way more dangerous than weight training. Oh, way more. So way if more. you, if you weight train properly as a teenager, it's the safest Thing you can do you're not hitting anyone you're not running around and twisting ankles and tearing acl so uh, so buendia got really uh, got a liking to bodybuilding and in his late teams he got sixth at the 2008 inbf capital city championship and that kind of launched him um he took a break from bodybuilding to sculpt his body we see this a lot with guys that we've talked about mob so they'll take time away improve themselves yeah. then they'll come back so he won the 2010 contra costa which is a big competition out in california a very respected competition and he finished third at the 2010 npc california state bodybuilding championship so 
Then he tried, he went to for his pro card and he won the 2013 MPC Junior USA Championships and now had his pro card to pursue bigger competition. So I'll bring in Mobster with your thoughts. Very, very quickly here, when guys take a break, and here's, here's a good, great lesson for uh, listeners today. You win a competition, but you realize you want to take a step up to a pro quality type stuff or a bigger and better title. Why do you take a break? Why do you just not carry on training and competing, training and competing? To fill in the gaps, to make the difference between your amateur winning physique and your pro winning physique, you know, to, to, to bring up your arms, to bring up your shoulders, looking at what's on the stage and winning ahead of you and deciding that my physique's good, but I don't want to be great. I need to do what these guys are doing. I need to look like these guys. I need to have a championship winning physique. And that's when you go away and you fill in the gaps in your physique. When I, when I was winning or when I was placing, should I say, in my strength competitions, my mentor at the time took me to one side and said, listen, you're good at this, you're good at this, but you need to be good at all these things and great at those things that you're good at. It's the same kind of analogy. You go away, you learn, you fill in the gaps. If, if your traps need bringing up, you do that and you spend a year off. If sometimes when you're competing too often, there's no chance to improve. All, all, all you're kind of doing is dieting and lifting, dieting and lifting. So you go away and that's why guys like Jeremy take that time out and assuming they don't get mysterious and go off somewhere else, if they come back, they should be a better bodybuilder. Back to you, Steve. So let's get into, you know, how he kind of uh, worked his way out from there. He won some smaller competition, IFBB Sacramento Pro, came in second at the 2013 Men's Physique, Mr. Olympia. So Mr. Olympia has different categories. And in these podcasts, you know, we've discussed the big winners of the Mr. Olympia overall, but there is something called a physique competition. And that's a very well-respected kind of branch of the Mr. Olympia sub uh, subcategory. So, and a lot of people, like, they look at the physique, you know, those types of physiques in that competition and they like it better than the, than the overall uh, beast 300, you know, 280 pound beast of the, of the Mr. Olympia overall. And they have a lot more respect for the guys who are doing the physique you know, so it just it's a it's a matter of what you like. And that's the reason why they came up with that uh, years ago, a few, you know, a few years ago. So uh, let's see. Uh, it's a tremendous honor to get it. And it can be safe to assume that Jeremy, he's got, you know, sponsors. He can just live off yeah. these. Uh, he can monetize his social media and his sponsors yeah. because he run it four years in a row. Um, so. You know, like we said in the beginning, 2015, he started his run. He run it uh, four straight years. And then, um, you know, he kind of uh, got, he fell to fourth place. And then he's been, since then, uh, Monster and I kind of discussed it on the pre-show. Seems like he's turned yeah. himself into a more of a family man, focusing on his businesses. And he, yeah. he's done well for himself. I mean, in his 20s, he's um, he's got a good following going on Instagram. And he could pretty much just you know, sponsor uh, some supplements and, and sell some of his own supplements that he does. And he could probably make a living uh, for quite a while on, off of it. Make a living. Yep. Go ahead, mobster. Yep. I'm going to say a few things here. First, Jeremy's a great example of a guy that doesn't need to be a giant. You've heard the statistics that Steve gave, gave out earlier for his height and weight. And he is proof perfect. You do not need to be six foot or 5'11 or whatever. And as Steve says, 300 pounds. In terms of his physique, 
you don't win the Mr. Olympia in his class four times and have a poor physique. So there's a, there is that. Uh, something else that he's himself said in one of the videos that I did as a background research for, for this, he said that he felt sometimes that his class, and maybe to a lesser degree the classic class, do not always get the respect that they deserve. Steve's quite correct. I think the, the, the idea of the average man on the street looking at his physique and being more okay with looking like that, and in terms of the commercial aspect, sponsors and big-time sponsors especially looking at his physique and go, you know what? We, we, we like the freaks, but this guy's going to be more popular. He's going to appeal to more people, and therefore he's someone that we want on, on our side. Now, we're going to get into the whole social media stuff, and then we'll talk about the, the nutrition and training, because that's what we do on these podcasts. But the social media is the issue here, and it was a big part of our, our pre, pre-show talking about stuff. He's an absolutely amazing bodybuilder, and even with the bad boy aspect, I think in, in, in terms of Jeremy, he kind of went over to the other side. And specifically, Steve and I will talk about this right now, the accusations of domestic violence, the anger issues, which he's admitted to on video, the uh, back and forth with Kenny K.O. to the point where he sued Kenny K.O. And I've found online and sources for the information include TMZ, two police reports, 2018 and 2019 for domestic violence. Now, it's one thing, and this is a lesson again for you guys, to make something with your social media and to get the attention of sponsors by being either a great bodybuilder and a great athlete, or, as we'll address in future podcasts, being a kind of bad boy. And I say bad boy in inverted commas. Here, he's kind of crossed that line just a tiny little bit with the accusations that I've just addressed. You're into really an area where sponsors love your bad boy, but they do not want you to be an out-and-out criminal. They do not want some of the things that's going to come along with this stuff. I watch I watch uh, car videos, Steve, and you've got one guy whose name escapes me right now. He's doing stuff like taking his car into the sea and driving around in the sea on giant tires, taking a, a crash in the car, talking about taking a car straight off the lot and they kind of drive it until it's falling apart literally on the same video, doing things with it you're not supposed to do and all that kind of stuff. And the views that he's getting is enormous, which it means is a positive way because it got, people will give him cars and they'll give him money and they'll pay for his views. But you have to be very, very careful with your social media guys. You can't put drunken rants on. You can't be seen taking drugs. You can't... The, the, if you, some guys' contracts include certain things about, you know, we, we don't mind you doing this, but you can't do that. And it includes quite a lot of criminal activity, believe you and me. So for, this is the reason we've talked about a previous podcast, Steve, where you can't specifically sit down on video and talk about possibly until you've retired, whether you use steroids or not. Everybody knows you use steroids. We talk about it on this podcast, but you can't sit there and say it if the audience that your sponsors wants the people to buy from includes young kids, includes teenagers. So it's a very it's a it's a fine line, guys. Jeremy crossed that line a couple of times, in my my uh, uh, opinion, and it, that, that's something you need to watch. Great being a bad boy, but don't be too too bad of a bad boy, eh, Steve? So you know we don't know what happened. We weren't there. One hundred percent, no. But the lady did post pictures of injuries. I mean, we don't know. She could have done that to herself or. Yeah, he could, have, he could have pushed her and she banged into something. You know, we see this a lot. Um, domestic, 
violence is something that's very, very common. If you live in like an apartment building and you have neighbors around you, you'll hear, you know, parents abusing their children. You'll hear couples abusing each other. You'll hear verbal violence. It can be physical and emotional, yeah. I don't know if it's the same way in Britain, Mobster, but in the United States, we have a huge uh, domestic violence issue. And um, it's really something that's uh, really, really common. But because we live in our own homes, um, a lot of people in the United States, you know, they have their own homes or far away from their neighbors. They don't hear it. But if you live like in an apartment, which I have before, you definitely hear the door slamming. You hear you know, yelling at each other, you hear all this stuff. So it's a very big yeah. problem in our society. And in this, this yeah. so, yeah, you can, I'll let you jump in on this one as well. Go ahead. It's, it, it, sorry, it's a, it's, it's a two-way street, Steve. There's actually uh, uh, statistics to support women against men violence as well as male against women, female violence. And indeed, my background, as you know, was formerly in a civilian role within the Metropolitan Police in uh, London. So one of the things I recall was going into New Scotland Yard and there was a giant poster there and the law had changed. Previously, they needed the partner, the, the person who'd been struck. And of course, domestic violence can be emotional, can be verbal as well as physical, but they needed that person to make an accusation and stand up either as a witness statement or in court. The law changed. The police could now arrest a fellow or woman on the doorstep if they felt that domestic violence would take place or was about to take place again and arrest them without the opposing partner offering up physical evidence, verbal evidence, or specifically making a statement and going to court against them. The police did no longer required that. So the law, the law was changed. And as I said, that the, the, I believe one in six cases of domestic violence is female against male. And we've seen some terrible stories of guys being cut with knives, and saying nothing because they loved her and all this kind of stuff. So it's a terrible, terrible situation. And Steve's quite correct. I believe the accusations of domestic violence is not the same as being found guilty of domestic violence. Let's be clear on that. He is admitted to uh, anger issues himself, something he's dealt with all his life, and you can find that video online for yourself. But he is not admitted, and I don't believe any of these cases went to court, but you guys are welcome to do your own research. He's never actually admitted to being physical with a woman, and indeed one of his videos specifically says, I've never struck a woman. And of course, accusations, calling the police and having them come to your house and, and charging you, is not the same as being full-blown guilty. So let's be clear on that. But again, as I says, this is back to where we were talking about at the beginning. The learn the lesson, guys. The difference between a great bad boy and having a bit of a reputation for being an arsehole and talking bluntly God help me, I'm sometimes like that myself. It's not the same as being an, an, a criminal or a thug or a real gangster versus a pretend gangster. I'm all for getting as much social media. That's what these podcasts are around. We want, we want your views. We want you to hear what we've got to say. We want you to learn the lessons. But make sure that you don't go too far in the crazy, crazy direction. I think Jeremy was very, very close to that. He's on a comeback show now. We've seen videos recently, clips on Nick Strip, Shrimp and Power if I'm looking back in shape. And I'd like to see this guy back on stage. It's unarguable. He had a world-class physique. You don't win the Mr. Olympia four times without doing that. But maybe he needs to be much more mature. He's only a young guy. You know, five, six years down the road, I think as Steve said, I believe he's, he's hooked up now. I believe he's in a long-term relationship if he's not married. That changes your attitude too. So you become a 
I mean, we see this on the forums all the time, don't we, Steve? Guys come on at 18, 25, and 30, and they're different men. They're young men beginning to mature and then finally mature. Me and you are old enough to have learned the life's lessons. I think Jeremy's right there or thereabouts now. He's learning what needs to be done, how he needs to be, how professional he needs to be, and how he needs to come across. He's still got 3 million followers, so yeah, he's, a, he's, he's learned. Back to you, Steve. Yeah, so... You know, let's let's just finish off the elephant in the room on this. So, you know, any man who put put his uh, hands on a woman, he's a piece of shit. So I hope this didn't really happen. I hope, you know, I hope it was just an allegation. I hope maybe she was mad at him. She wanted to get back at him. She did that. Yeah. I hope. But yeah. we don't know. We don't know what happened. So long story short, he ends up suing Kenny Ko, who's a YouTuber, uh, for a million dollars, and he uh, he also sued two other guys who made a, a video and who gave what he said was false information. Mm -hmm. So um, then it became a big thing. Kenny Ko actually got on TMZ. So he got, Kenny Ko got what he wanted. He got exposure. He, he went on TMZ. He got more yeah. followers from it. So in the end, you know, uh, all these guys ended up, you know, getting what they wanted, the attention or whatnot. So in the end, um, this is what Buendia said. He says, there's a lot of accusations that are just accusation. I've never been convicted of any domestic violence toward a woman. I've never hit a woman in any shape, way, or form or hurt a woman. And I want to make that very clear. In regards to ways I've spoken to women in the past, I have a very, very bad problem with that. And that is something that I can actively working on. So I wonder if he grew up in an abusive household because his dad was an athlete in bodybuilding. Maybe he watched his dad abuse his mom and that... Yep made him feel like oh i can talk down to women like this and etc but as mobster said he does have a well close to five million followers between his youtube and instagram so he's got a big time yep. following and the big controversy that blew up a year and a half ago it seems like it's behind him because you don't see yes. people on his instagram giving him a hard time now so and he is married um the lady he's married to is anastasia buindia who is also very active on Instagram, she's got um, almost 100,000 followers. She looks like, um, you know, a model type. Uh, so she's getting nice. her uh, Instagram jacked up too. So, and she is pregnant. There's pictures of her pregnant. So hopefully, oh, wow. yeah, so hopefully well, Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy uh, you know, treats them both good. And uh, she hasn't yeah. come back in a year from now with um, accusations towards him again. So, but like Momster said, maybe he, you know, has matured and, even just straight up, he's admitted to yelling at women. That's 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 violent, domestic violence. You yell at a woman, you make her cry, you upset her, you stress her out. That itself is domestic violence. That's torture. That's torture. And he should mm -hmm. know. So Jeremy, you know, if you're listening to this, a lot of these guys end up listening to this, buddy. You know, come on, man. Like whatever yeah. happened to you growing up, it's not an excuse. All right, it's not an excuse for being an asshole as an adult. So you know, get your shit together, bro. Definitely. All right, so elephant out of the room. Uh, let's talk about his training and his diet, mobster. So okay. his nutrition, um, you know, we, you know, researching this, you know, typical bodybuilding diet, uh, lean proteins, complex carbs, good fats. He loves uh, lots of sweet potatoes, oats for his carbs, avocado, peanut butter for his fats, fish and chicken for his protein. He likes to throw in some green veggies with his meal. And he's got, you know, he likes egg whites with his, with his oats. So typical, you know, bodybuilder, physique, cookie cutter diet, nothing really special here. Tremendous genetics, obviously, that he got course, from, yeah. from his yeah. father being a bodybuilder. So 
obviously, you know, he's got those genetics going and he's been able to kind of turn that into a great physique for him. So Mobster, tell us a little bit about his training. Um, you don't, def- you don't train like this guy does, but oh, no, tell no, us, no. yeah. Tell us how he, he trains. The, the, the particular uh, focus for today in terms of his training beyond what you would expect him to do is of course his association previously with Han- Hani Ramrod. I'll say Hani's name correctly. And Hani specifically at the time they were using the FST7 system for, for training, which uh, FST people stands for fascia stretch training. And the seven part was the seven sets that was done at the end of a workout or an end of a body part workout and, and was all about a combination of the pump and some of the stuff from, from the Mila Sarsef thing, which is you're using a certain nutrients at the same time. So not only are you pumping the muscles to stretch the fascia, but you're also driving nutrients in both during the workout and immediately after to stretch, again, fill up the, the glycogen stores, stretch the muscle out even more with this amazing pump because of the food you'd already consumed. And then of course, drive the nutrients into the muscle to uh, speed up recovery. And hopefully, fingers crossed, make you a better, more well-rounded, more fuller looking bodybuilder. And that's just during the workout, Steve. So yeah, I mean, this is a thing, like, a few videos, and I think that Milos Sarsif kind of stuff, but he was using uh, apple puree and apple sauce for some of his guys on the giant sets. And Hani's, uh, Hani's approach with the uh, seven sets at the end, and pumping the hell out of a guy by feeding lots of carbs, et cetera, et cetera. These are not easy things to do. Uh, Steve's quite correct. The stuff that I do, I, I, I literally do one exercise for biceps, one exercise for triceps. And if I've had a good carb meal before and I train in the morning, I know I do a 20 rep set, say, for example, as I'm doing right now on hammer curls. If I've eaten right, my arms pump. I'm doing one pump set, Steve, one all out max set with decent weights. 20 reps. These guys are doing seven sets. That would destroy me. It would take me weeks to adapt to this kind of training. So let's be let's be clear on this. It's very easy, and Steve uses the euphemism quite a bit, cookie car, in terms of training. And believe you and me, I doubt very much if he's doing anything strange or unusual in terms of his workouts. But these seven pump sets with the foot, that, it, it takes a lot of application to get everything together. You've got to have all these things in place, oh, and, then, and then you've got to do the grind. And I think there's an element maybe with Harney as well. When you've got Harney behind you, it's like, you know, you're, you're talking about one of the top prep coaches in the world. I guarantee you these guys put themselves through hell. So I could look at this and go, oh, it's no big deal. I would scream like a baby, Steve. I'm sure of it. With Harney cracking the whip behind me and make pushing me. And, and then this is, I actually think sometimes with this kind of stuff, the pump would be boring and painful. It would actually probably be physically uncomfortable not not pleasurable it certainly wouldn't be to quote arnold like coming this would be something like this would be like blue balls by comparison and again this also which we'll get to in a minute with regards to the steroids we're talking about probably steroids that are going to help you push water and drive the nutrition again so i mean the guys i'm sure steve and i will talk about this as well i suspect there's probably a bit of initially manipulation which does not get mentioned with st fst training but i would i think it's a pretty good guess to say there's some insulin manipulation going on here as well, Steve. So the whole thing is designed to pump you to be crude like a motherfucker. It's not easy. And with someone like Honey cracking the whip, it's going to be damn hard and taken up on another level again. There won't be many people that could get through this workout the way that it should be done. And that's with all the, all the elements in place. It's not as simple as having the food and going to the gym and hitting it. It'll be on another level. And I, I think it's one of the things you need to sit down afterwards and think about what the hell you 
<laughs> what the hell made you go there to do this stuff? And it's also, again, it's not for long periods of time. We're probably talking about six, seven, eight weeks at a time we're then backing off and then coming back into this stuff. But let's be honest, you don't get to be full-time Mystery Olympia. It works. And uh, FST, anybody that's been through a, a workout with Honey and done the FST stuff properly will tell you it's hard and brutal, but they're blowing up. And obviously the most famous of uh, Honey's uh, clients was uh, multiple Mr. Olympia winning Phil Heath. So again, high level athletes doing crazy stuff. If you do, guys do give it a, a chance, do give it a try, do it 100% properly. Give us some feedback. Tell us in, 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 in the comments uh, how you got on with training this way. And uh, let's see if uh, there's some positive and some negative. Back to you, Steve. And let's be honest, training like this, you're not gonna you're not gonna do well unless you're using steroids, especially. You'll, I mean, you'll 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 do a little well, but you're not gonna do yeah. really well. No, 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 no. Steroids no. Be, because the steroids, the are, gonna, the steroids yeah. are gonna help you with protein synthesis, and it's gonna yeah. really really grow muscle like like you've never grown muscle before. And these drugs and these these compounds that these guys use to help them burn fat, mm. along with it, just the consistent recomposition of the body. And that's what makes these physique champions, you know, physique champions. They're not bulking, they're not cutting, but they're recomping. So they're they're obsessed with constantly gaining muscle and losing fat almost at the same time. So let's get into a steroid stack. Let's get into some of the drugs that we think that these guys are using, like Jeremy. Um, so, you know, again, guys, is there, this is speculation, um, but we're going to have a little fun with this. So you know, let's start with testosterone, 600 milligrams a week of testosterone E, stopping it a few weeks before his competition. So a lot of guys want to know, mobster, they want to know why, why would you stop testosterone before your competition? Uh, what do you, what do you have to say about that? Well, we talked about this on previous podcasts, Steve, it depends on the kind of testosterone we look, we're looking at. And, and we, we, we talked about long act, long acting esters and short acting esters and, and, and a pro tip is that you're using short acting esters because you are getting, you're becoming down to what is supposed to be the best physique look you can possibly present on stage. And the stuff that you've built muscle with in the months leading up to the competition is not necessarily what you're going to be using come down to the competition shape. And if they use, by using the short acting esters and using, say for example, long acting would be cypionate versus, as per the example, ethanate, quicker in, quicker out, and much easier to manipulate the physique and the body and getting it into the shape that we want. You've also got, Steve, as you would know, certain drugs with regards to estrogen issues. I want to be lean. I don't want to be dealing with water issues. I don't want to be dealing with blood pressure issues. I want to be ripped and fucking dry on stage. Maybe not feeling great, but ripped and dry and looking just as amazing as it can be. So the short-acting stuff, the quick-acting stuff is what we want. We do not want stuff that's still in our system for days after the competition. You almost, in a perverse kind of way, almost want to be clean or as clean as you possibly can be. And then you can make those last minute adjustments, which we get into with regards to diuretics. For example, hardly anybody's using insulin in a day of a show. You don't want anything that's going to grow hormone, which might have been in a cycle. You don't want anything that's going to hold water. You don't want anything that's going to bloat you. You don't want anything. It's, 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 it's a, a very contest prep, as Steve will tell you, is a is a, a kind of art for the real, real, really top guys. And this includes, again, everybody on stage with you is a genetic freak. So it's the same level playing field, and it kind of becomes an art in presenting. As an example, again, and I mentioned this fellow already, 
the argument between Phil Heath prejudging and Phil Heath the, the night show is that you get a full Phil Heath at the prejudging and you get a dry Phil Heath at the night show. And that's the difference between coming in with these drugs and this condition and this diet manipulation and this kind of training. And then literally 12 to 24 hours later, if you're doing a show over two days, like the Olympia. So again, it's a fine art. And this is the reason sometimes why there's a comparison between the 90th, body, 90th bodybuilders and the 2020 bodybuilders, because in the old days, in the 90s, it used to be on one morning and an evening show. It was in one day. Now it's a weekend show. It's all stuff like that. And if, even food, Steve, as you know, guys that will have an upset stomach you're going to hold water. You've got kind of diarrhea or any of those kind of stuff. So all of these kind of things, and even, for example, the timing of diuretics, that you shouldn't be really taking diuretics on the day of a show. You should be taking those a few days out. So there's all these kind of issues. You know, do you want to get into the rest of the drugs, Steve? Yeah, so so with the testosterone, you know, like Momster said, you want it out. Of, you don't want it in your system because the water retention. That's that's basically what you want. Definitely, in in a physique situation, you definitely don't want to go on stage with water retention. That's going to knock off points off your score. Pure and simple. The other one that that really helps is Masteron. And these mm. guys, you know, they run a gram of Masteron a week, no problem. The beauty of Masteron is it is it's is a pure DHT, so cosmetics. It's cosmetic. It's gonna harden up the muscle. So you oh, look yeah. at the pictures of of uh, Jeremy and these other physique guys, and you see this this hard muscle look. That's thanks to Masteron. And ever since Masteron came on the scene in bodybuilding, guys have been all over it. It's a great great steroid to add if you want to harden up your muscle. Now, if you're a normal gym rat using Masteron would be kind of pointless unless you're so egotistical with some guy's arm officer. I don't know if it's like that in your gym. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, I've done it. I've done it myself. You just like to stand in front of the mirror and do curls and look at your biceps popping out. Some guys like to look at that. What, what, what can you say? So Masteron is a beautiful steroid for that. But I mean, other than that, it ain't going to have any much point if you're, if you're a uh, normal gym rat, but these guys, yes, if you, want people looking at your body, if you want a beach body, if you want to have people look at you on stage, master on, definitely cosmetic steroid all the way. The other yeah. one is Trembolone. Trembolone is an amazing steroid for recom. Trembolone, a lot of guys can actually burn fat on Trembolone and gain muscle at the same time just from using Trembolone. So it's a good, it's a good one to use. Um, and whether you're a big bodybuilder monster or you're a physique competitor, Trembolone is a great steroid to use. 600 milligrams a week, we think, would be the physique dosages. If you're a big, big monster bodybuilder, it's over 1,000. The next one is Anovar and T-Bowl. Those are two oral steroids or dry steroids. You would never use Dianabol. You would never use Anadrol. No, no, God, no. Yeah. No, 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 not for context. So I was going to say, yeah. both these two drugs, uh, T-Bowl, as we know, it's kind of the mild, lean mass version of D-Bowl. D-Bowl is a much more watery drug. D-Bowl would be a great drug almost for a beginner's cycle, intermediate even, certainly an off-season bulker. But for, for competition and looking the way that Jeremy does on stage, absolutely not. T-Bowl would probably be the one that you want. It might only put a few pounds of muscle in. certainly going to help you in a contest prep to, to, to maintain muscle. I'm a huge fan, as I've said on the forums of Vanavar, and even at my height and weight and everything else that I kind of do, for me, it's a strength drug. And I don't even run it at crazy levels. I, I would use probably half the dosage that we're talking about here, which would be 100 milligrams for, for a contest uh, prep guy 
a competitor like Jeremy, but it's also a dry drug, Steve. You, you know, again, you're not putting on loads and loads of water. If I'm as, as big and heavy as I am, I only put three, four, maybe five pounds on it when I use this at 50 milligrams a day. Uh, I'm not looking to get any more mass, so I'm not trying to hold on to those five pounds when I come off. But it's a great way of retaining muscle tissue as you're dieting down and, of course, keeping some of that strength into your training and, and so on. Cardarine, I think, is the next thing here. And we talk about this in a lot of our podcasts because Psalms are very much of Jeremy's gener generation. And certainly now we know we're hoping it's going to compete again in a not too distant future. So why wouldn't you want the energy that Cardarine is going to give you? Why wouldn't you want the boost to your cardio that Cardarine is going to give you? And here we've got him down at 20 milligrams a day, which, guys, like it or don't like it, is a perfectly effective dose. I don't care what your level is. You do not need to go out and do 40, 50 or 100 milligrams. You're not, you're not going to turn into to Ben Johnson or, or Usain Bolt and suddenly doing crazy speeds and running marathons and whatever else. It's just going to, it kind of releases the energy and gives you that pep. And when you're, again, depleted and you're dying down for competition, when you've been smashing the hell out of the weights to keep that, the muscle on the bone, you're not necessarily feeling as great or as energetic as you expect. You look like you do, but in reality, full-on contest prep is very, very difficult. So the idea that he might be using 20 milligrams of cardarine, I think it's perfectly viable, Steve. It would give him that energy. It would help the cardio. It would help with the cutting down. And, and yeah, 20 milligrams is all you need, guys. What about these last two drugs here, Steve? DMP. I'm not a fan, as you know. Not, neither of us are. But will, 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 will a guy like Jeremy, Steve, do you think, be using DMP? Would he be taking, as, as a lot of professionals, doing every single thing that he needs to do in order to win? Probably. Steve? Yeah, I was going to say absolutely. Uh, DMP, mm. you know, DMP is one of those that are uh, very, very high side effects. But these guys don't care, leading up to the competition especially. They want to – they don't care about suffering. And that's what they'll do a week ahead of their comp actual competition is they'll suffer. They'll suffer to get as much fat off of their body as possible, no matter so what. So because you cannot go on stage in the physique competition and have fat showing because yeah. that's you're done if you do. So they'll do anything to do it. And DMP is one of those where you have to time it correctly. You, you, yeah, let me – let me just explain this about DMPs. You see, with DMP, when you're on it, you will tend to retain water. So you have to time it properly. So what he would, what you would do ahead of a competition is you'd run it for seven days, 10 days, 14 days, whatever. And then about three days ahead of your competition, then you'd stop using it. And then give yeah. it three days for that water that was building up in your system while on it to flush its way out and then once it flushes its way out then oh my god then you've got the it's kind of like painting something you're painting it you're painting it and then at the end you reveal it and it's like oh yeah. there we go it's perfect so so you have to time it perfectly and then the day of the competition i've, I've watched these competitions guys backstage because i've trained people they have all these little tricks with peptides and diuretics and, and all these little tricks to kind of make them more vascular, make them more dry at the last minute. Yeah. So these are things that these guys do. It's an art. It really is an art. And really oh, yeah. they look compared to three days out and then compared to one hour out, they look completely different. Can do. Yeah. I was going to say one thing in regards to uh, the whole 
what drugs people should use in, uh, versus what they do use. And the thing is here, the, 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 the mentality of a guy that wants to win is probably going to be that I don't want to leave something on the table that my competitors are going to use. I don't want to be to the guy that didn't use this and have them use it and have them beat my ass and push me down the second, third or fourth. You're not winning huge amounts of money in the class that Jeremy's in in the first place. You're not winning $400,000. I think I believe without checking, $30,000 to $50,000, Steve. So if if second place is $20,000 or $10,000, I'm not giving the other guy twenty dollars to $30,000. That's my money. So I'm kind of probably having the attitude that I want to do everything that needs to be done in order to win. So you have to understand that mentality. Now, of course, if you guys are listening to this podcast are not Mr. Olympia competitors, then perhaps the advice would be don't do this crazy shit because you don't need to. I'd also dispute, Steve, although it's probably very accurate, the idea that you need to do 600 milligrams. The effective dose for 90% of our listeners, if they must use it, and I'd really rather that they didn't, is going to probably be somewhere around the 200 milligrams mark. And again, it's one of those things where Steve said, I think going to manipulate it very, very carefully hopefully with someone who's got some kind of medical knowledge to support you. A, a, a contest prep guru would be useful. You're paying them the kind of money that some of these guys earns with percentage of your contract or percentage of your winnings. They need to know exactly what they're doing in terms of putting it in, taking it out. The last thing, of course, Steve, and again, very popular in contest winning uh, physiques would be diuretics. So as an example, and Steve just mentioned it, if you're taking out your DMP a few days ahead of the show and you're looking at water manipulation, Here's where diuretics are going to play their role. And none of this stuff that we're talking about is healthy. And again, I'll touch on this. The top level, dry, rock hard, peeled looking physiques that you see on stage is not someone who's walking around feeling great or feeling healthy or feeling amazing. They're feeling depleted. They are tired. They are hungry. And if you've got all this stuff in terms of just with diuretics, having to go to the toilet every in 45 minutes, having to drink this amount of water, having to jab yourself and do injections and all this kind of, it's not, a, it's not about feeling good. It's about looking amazing. And again, that contest winning mentality, I want to be number one, I, I, I'm going to do what needs to be done to kick ass and to get my hands on those $50,000. And that's the mentality that you're looking at. So guys, if you just want to look good in the gym, we got a ton of information for you on the forums. If you're looking to beat Jeremy's ass on stage, then this is the kind of approach that we think Jeremy might take. And so if, and it'd be champions just like Jeremy doing just exactly the same things as we're talking about here. So yeah, diuretics, Steve, getting that, getting that bloat out, getting those last bits of water out, and especially if, if they are using DMP, getting rid of some of that DMP held water too. Look, at the end of the day, Mobster makes a good point. Um, you know, these guys, they want to look good that minute when they're on stage, that minute. But for the rest yeah. of us, we want to look good year round. We don't, yes. we're not, we're not timing. We want to look good on March 5th, the day of the judging. That's when we yeah. want to look our peak for the entire year. No, we want to look good year round. So we may never reach that, you know, peak on a certain day, but that's fine because we want to look at your own. You never know. You could be walking, you know, on the beach, you could be walking around in, in some nice proper fitting clothes and run into a hot chick or a hot guy. And you want to be looking good year round, right. To 
you know, to, to look good, you want to look good, right? You want to feel good about yourself. You want to be healthy. So, you know, that's the decision you have to make. Do you want to just like, you know, come compete and try to look good on a certain day? Or do you want to just look good year round? There's two different types of things in fitness. So, or you could be, Hey, I want to get on social media. I want to put up some great pictures. So, Hey, I'm, I'm hiring a professional photographer on this day. I want to look good on this day. So I'm going to try to do what I have to do to look good on that day. So I can take pictures, put them on my social media to impress people. I run into these guys from social media monster. I'm, I run into them. A lot of them live in my neck of the woods and I, you know, I've seen them in, in person. I run into them at sporting events. I've run into them all kinds of places and at expos and all kinds of stuff. They don't look anything like their pictures. (laughs) it's like what you know and it's because these pictures they they push themselves to look good on that particular damn of course not in so in the rest of the year they look like a normal joe they look like don't even lift so you know it's 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 amazing uh the way the body is and how social media kind of distorts everybody and you'll drive yourself crazy if you let me let you drive yourself carry you think you can look like these guys year round it's not possible it's not possible but you can look as good as you can year round that's the difference let, let me tell you a quick story right so it's it's perfectly normal guys <laughs> a kind of understandable to be as your balance whether it's how fast your car how many women you've been to bed with how big your right bicycle is right so let's get into be clear on that and i was never a one for blowing my trumpet too loudly in terms of my bicep size or my chest size or how big I am, how much I weigh or whatever, especially back in the day. So a quick side story for you. I've done expo work and been hired by companies to appear on their stands and to present their products and to act for the day or for the weekend at Body Power in the UK and, and, and other events as a representative of the company. So quite funny was that we had a competitive bodybuilder who had actually done stuff for uh, some video games and, and book presentation, and they'd had him turn up in makeup with his huge physique outside one of the big game stores over here in the UK, et cetera, et cetera. And he knew me to meet in the flesh. So he knew that I was 6'3". He knew I was, at that time, 280 pounds, and so on and so forth. So there was someone had asked me in one of the forums how big my forearms were, and I described the, the size of my forearms at the time. can't remember how big they were. They were, they were big enough. And some guys said, so you say your forearms ain't that big. And uh, this particular bodybuilder, Ollie, I think his name was, says, I've met Mobster in the flesh. And the size he's on about is probably from his wrist up to his elbows, not just on the thick measurement. So it was one of those things where, as Steve Smith quite correctly says, looking really, really good for a day as a model for, 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 for a modeling show or for a well-filtered, well-edited photograph on Instagram is one thing. Looking like this all year round is something else. And you've got to have it in your heads, even back in the day before Instagram or social media and wherever else. Photographs of most top professional bodybuilders were taken just in the days up to a show or the days just after a show, and then presented in the magazines over a period of months. So it gave you the idea that they looked like this all year round. In reality, the condition that we're talking about with intercostals ripped, that properly shredded look with the glutes and cross gyrations on the quads is incredibly hard to be like that all year round. And just maintaining a decent level of physique is very, very difficult. It's the reason why guys like Jeremy would do the drug cycle that we're thinking that Jeremy does, 
And it's the reason why top professional bodybuilders do what they do. And as I said, you've got the social media stuff. You've got the $400,000 if you win the Mr. Olympia, the open class. It's kind of worth it for them. But for the rest of us, looking good, feeling healthy, being able to go to the beach, being able to swim on the beach, being able to chat to the girls, the guys, whatever, whichever way you want to go. And, and looking good, as Steve says, down the club, uh, for a cruise with your buddies in the car. That's what that's, that's what most of us are about. Having a little tricep pop. I think there's a photograph somewhere, Steve, of Arnold in the car with doing a tricep pop for the girls. So that's what most of us are after. For top professional bodybuilders, it's a, it's, it's a diff, it's like the difference between having a fast car and a drag racing car. It's, it's another level. We talk about this stuff. You can learn from them. You can see what they're doing. And you can take bits and pieces of that stuff and that information and use it to your benefit to get where you want your physique to go. So if you're a contest winning physique, it's a guy that wants to be a champion, pay close attention to what Jeremy does. Otherwise, can you do something with the pump training? Could you use some of these drugs? Could you lower the doses? Yeah, sure. Could, could you learn from his nutrition? Yeah, 100%. Can having a great prep coach and a training coach like Harley on, on, on your CFO, good thing? Yeah, sure, 100%. That's what this stuff's about. And of course, we like to entertain and educate both at the same time, Steve. So yeah, I, I wouldn't do half these drugs. I, I, it would not be something that would benefit me. And God help me, could you imagine me now 300 plus pounds on DNP? I'd be a great sweating mess. It'd be God awful. <laughs> so yeah, not for, not for me, but for a guy who wants to be number one in his class, full-time winning, almost certainly something that he would have looked at. And we're, so we didn't use, we didn't talk about it, but um, as I said, I think there's probably going to be some insulin manipulation. And certainly since the article written, and we talked about this again more recently, I think there'll be some peptides in there too. So yeah, there's other stuff that we could add to this cycle. We could go on and on, on about these kind of things. Hopefully you people enjoyed, the listeners enjoyed what we had to say. And uh, yeah, back to you, Steve. All right, guys, this was number 129, Jeremy Buendia. Next week, we're going to have another one. And I'll give you guys a hint. He is a former basketball player, and he is also a physique competitor. So we will talk to you guys next week and have that. All right, guys, take care. Take care, Mobster. See you soon.